In Mark chapter 8, if you want to open your Bible, this is kind of where we started with it. It's a story where Jesus was talking about who he was, he had all the things that he had done, miracles and everything like that. And Peter starts saying, oh, Lord, uh, and then Jesus says, sorry, that, and then after all these miracles and everything, I'm going to be crucified and uh, I'm going to be buried and rise again. And Peter said, no, 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 no way, not going to happen. Uh, I have a way that I think life should be. I, Jesus, you need to serve my agenda. I have a purpose that you need to uh, fulfill for me. I have a vision of what you should do, Jesus. And Jesus said, no, no, your thinking is self-centered. Your thinking is built on using my power for you. Your thinking is built on using my goodness for you and just for you. You have your own agenda, but my way is different, he said. My way will change your life, not just for a moment, but will change its destination. It'll change the journey, and it will change people through you, not just your circumstances. My way will give you the life that you were created for. It's not just a moment. It's actually intended to cause some momentum that changes your life and the lives around you. And he said this uh, incredibly um, difficult statement. He said, if you want to be my disciple or whoever wants to be my disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple, the disciple is just a fancy word for follower or um, like an apprentice. He says, if you want to live like me, if you want to be like me in, in your life, do that. Deny yourself. And he says, I want to give you a promise along this with this that whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Here's the promise. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. In other words, your best life is being given away. Your best life is not making your life more comfortable, better for you all the time. Your, per, your perspective, your plan, your best life is giving it away. And not only that, there's an incredible purpose for your life. He says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, pick up your purpose, and see God use you in a powerful way. Your life is not just meant to get up, go to work, come home, get up, go to work, come home, get up. There's a, somebody can make a rap on that. Come home, and that's not all It's good. Your life is meant for more. Your life is meant for more than just making it to a, a retirement that ends up in a nice casket. Life is more than that. God intends for your life to have impact in the world. No matter what your age, no matter what your background, no matter what the good things you've done or the bad things that you've done that you wish never would have happened, there's purpose on your life. You, there's purpose for your purpose. And then finally, there's he wanted, said, I want to... Tell you, Peter, that it's not going to be by your ability that you're going to do this. I want to reset your perspective. You, it's not just follow your desire. There's this thing in the world that says follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus because Jesus will lead your heart where you need to go. And I get that sentiment. Don't just do whatever comes for, but it can get you in a bad spot. Follow Jesus. He says, I'm the power that's going to get you through the journey. I'm the power that's going to come on your purpose. I'm the one who's going to activate you into places that, that you could not do by yourself. Follow me. And then as we follow him, he leads us where he has for us intended to go. But many times we're not going anywhere and that's where we're getting. If you head for nowhere, you will get there every time. Find his power. Find your people. Find your purpose. Because Jesus said this. This is his desire for your life. I have come to bring you life 
and that to the fullest, that with more abundance, that with fulfillment, that with great joy, that with great purpose, that with more than you can think or imagine. But you're not going to be able to discover that doing it your way, Peter. You're not going to be able to discover it doing your way, Craig. There's a way that God has for your life. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus. The way up is down. I'll lead your life. If you want your best life, give it away. Service is greatness. All things that our world doesn't want except for somebody else. (laughs) Reset your life and discover what you were created for. Father, I pray that you just give us ears to hear what you're saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been in a jam and needed somebody to help you out? Anybody ever there? Yeah. Someone calls you. Their car's broken down, or they, uh, they need a jump start, or something like that, or they went in a ditch, whatever. Uh, when I was in uh, grade one, I was in Burton Elementary School, small little school, seven, I think there was, uh, it was basically made of portables uh, and put together in a modular thing, and uh, from grade kindergarten right through to grade seven, there probably was less than 100 kids in all of the classes. Grade one to three were in one classroom. Grade 1s looked at that wall, grade 2s looked at that wall, grade 3s looked that way, and I looked out the window. (laughs) But here we were, I was in grade 1, and Kevin was in grade 2. It's always a Kevin. That's his real name, but I'm not going to say his last name. Kevin was kind of a, he was bigger than me. Well, it wasn't hard to be bigger than a Miller, but... um, and so he, he kind of bullied me. Before bullying was fashionable, he already figured it out that, that he could do it. And it was things like he would come up to me, and my mom would, would make us cookies for our lunch. And sometimes we had big cinnamon rolls, or she called them butter horns with, these, uh, with icing all over them. And he would come and tell me that he needed my butter horn or my cookie or whatever like that. Uh, he was also, there was a chart on the wall. This was in the days when they actually charted things and expected things of you. So there was a chart, Craig, Thorine, Kevin, and all the way down the list. And he would go, and I would get lots of, lots of stars because I had performance issues even back then. I hadn't gone to therapy yet, but here I was. So I would work really hard, and I would sweep, and I would do my little homework, and, and I would do whatever I'd have to do. Wouldn't even go to the washroom except when it was washroom time. And, and so you would get a star on there. And mine were going out towards, I was in the lead. And little Kevin, big Kevin to me, but little Kevin, would go up there when the teacher was out of the room and pull some stars off of my chart, tick them off, so I'd have less than him. And I didn't like that. He didn't know. He was the oldest in his family in grade two. I had a brother in grade six and grade seven. So this was in the days when the Wild West, back in the 70s, We didn't have no quiet room. We didn't have where I could go and somebody could like talk to me or talk to the bully and help us to hug one another. I went to my brother. And I said, this is what's happening. I told him the story and he said, I'll take care of it. (laughs) Us Millers, we can fight like crazy with each other, but don't fight with one of us. Six of us in our family. So if you're thinking of saying something to me, just bear that in mind. So there was my next oldest brother, and uh, he was already uh, kind of, him and Rules have a very loose relationship. And so 
he, um, he said, I'll take care of it. And I don't know what happened, but Kevin went behind the swing set in that area. And after that, when my brother went in, and I never had a problem with Kevin after that for any reason. I ate my cookies. In fact, sometimes I went to ask him if he had some. It's good to have people in your life when there's a problem. I'm not recommending that you do that nowadays. You'll probably go to jail or something like that. But it was the 70s. It was in the hills. And I was a miller. So that's a lot right there. Unfortunately, as we go into adulthood, our environment seems to conspire against us having good connections. It gets easier and easier to get more isolated than it does to get closer. You don't always realize it's happening. This spring, for me, I was outside. It was finally had, after six months, the rain had stopped. And I came outside, and I was doing something in my yard that I share with 104 other people. And I was doing something out there, and my neighbor came out. And he's like, oh, there you are. I'm glad you're okay. I was like, Les, what do you mean, glad I'm okay? Is there something wrong? He said, well, I haven't seen you since Christmas, so I didn't know if you were still alive. I was like, I'm okay. Thank you, Les. I just, it's been raining. I don't know what's going on here. It's busy. You get tired. And by nature as well, I am more of an introvert. I know it's fine. you might find that hard to believe, but that's, I am more comfortable, quiet, by myself with a book somewhere than I am sitting in a, in a party. If I'm at a party, first of all, that's the miracle of the day. If I'm at that party, I'll be the guy talking with one or two other people, leaning against the wall with an eye that I can see my wife to say, it's time, and knowing where the exit sign is at all times. You always got to know where the exit is because you got to go at, and leave at any given moment. That's kind of how I am. And so my tendency is towards introversion. My tendency is towards isolation. It doesn't mean it's better for me. It just means it, that sometimes that's where I lean and, and I have to be aware of that. It's easier to isolate, but it doesn't mean that it's better. It does mean, doesn't mean it's always good, especially when your neighbor wonders if you've passed away. Yeah, most of us, I think, live a typical Vancouver life where if you have a garage with a door, you get in your car, you open up the door, you back out, you go, you go to work, you go to school, whatever you go to, you do your thing, you come back, it's usually, and especially for six months of the year, it's raining, it's dark, you lift up the door, you go in, which uh, most of the time your door opens. I had my clicker this summer, I would go like that, it would open my door and the neighbors at the same time. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll go in there. I don't know what's going to. And so you go in and you go out and you, the door comes down and you go in and you do your thing. You, maybe you got uh, some dinner to eat. Maybe you spend a little time reading a book or on Snapchat or close out with a Netflix, Netflix binge or whatever you would do. Go to bed and repeat it all over again. Or perhaps you're a mom who spends a lot of time alone with kids and struggles with just wanting to get out and talk to someone. I'll go to the grocery store so I can engage the cashier in adult conversation. Or perhaps you're retired or semi-retired and live alone or live just uh, your life a lot more isolating than it was at one time in your life. Other times, some of us choose isolation because of pain or disappointment that we've experienced in our life up to that moment, and it's just easier to cut people off. 
Isolation is some of our reality. Busy, maybe because we're busy. Maybe you're struggling to find your way in Canada. You're just working hard to maybe one job or two jobs or three jobs to, to make it, and you're, you're just hanging on to get through, but you're isolated. Others, it's more our nature. Some are distracted by other things. Some of us have broken relationships. Some of us are issues of confusion. In our world, we're more connected than we've ever been and more isolated than we've ever been. And it's not something you just think or sense. It's actually something that we see happening. I read an article recently in a British paper called The Guardian that was discussing the issue of friendliness and loneliness or isolation and community. Perhaps not surprisingly, one of the cities that they brought up was Vancouver, all the way from England. Consider, and this is the quote from it, consider idyllic looking Vancouver on the shores of the Pacific Ocean, which struggles not only with affordability, it was recently crowned one of the most expensive cities in North America, but also with friendliness. The Vancouver Foundation, a think tank, asked over 4,000 people to identify the biggest issue facing Vancouverites, and that would be Metro Vancouver, and were told it wasn't homelessness or poverty. The top issue identified was isolation. In the 80-plus ethnic groups who were polled, the single largest issue is that they found that they found is that it's hard to make friends. In this young, diverse city, newly arrived uh, people struggle the most. Among people who have been in Canada for five years or less, almost half have only two friends or less. The difference between being friendly and being a, and having a friend. One woman was a newcomer from Kabul, Afghanistan. She had moved here, but she said she found the loneliness of Abbotsford so unbearable that she moved back to Afghanistan, to the capital city, risking suicide bombs and car bombs for one year. However, because her life was constantly in danger, she came back, but she stated that she seriously weighed and reconsidering her decision to come back for some time because the community and meaning that she was leaving was um, made the crushing isolation of Abbotsford almost unbearable. Incredible. Willing to risk life and limb and being bombed because she so hungered for community that she couldn't find in Metro Vancouver. What is one of the reasons for an increasingly well-connected yet more and more isolated society? One social scientist notes that in the West, we live faster, fly higher, go further from our workplaces, and live more singly by ourselves than at any other time in our, in our, our known history. A growing percentage of homes where people live alone or just have a single room in a house with another bunch of single people. We are surviving in our environment. You can call it an affordability issue. You can call it all kinds of issues. Fact is, it's isolation and uh, is is a, a real issue in our culture for many many people. Or we could, one professor who studies this, he's a leading authority on the health effects of isolation at the University of Chicago, says he would blame an increasingly self-absorbed society. He said one of the things we've seen is a movement away from the concern for others more concerned about herself. Deny yourself, Jesus said. But really, what's the big deal? So some people are lonely. Some people are isolated. University of Stud or York University in Toronto 
a lady who's been researching for more than 33 decades on this, said isolation or loneliness has been linked to depression, anxiety, interpersonal hostility, increased vulnerability to health problems, and even to suicide. Some people call this the age of anxiety, whether it's something that we've always had and people just more readily talk about it, with mental health issues are at the fore. Just a, the, this summer, a, a pastor, young, maybe a, a decade younger than me, thriving megachurch in Northern California or Southern California, took his own life after st struggling with issues around anxiety and depression for a long, long time and saw that as the only way out. And I know even in our own family, we've experienced that uh, as well. Isolation and loneliness is not, nothing to really play around with. One author who studied this said that social isolation may be the greatest environmental hazard of city living. In fact, it's worse than noise, pollution, or even crowding on your health. Wow. Perhaps Jesus is on to something when he says, deny yourself. Don't just isolate and make life all about you and what's going on in your life, but we might hear, deny yourself, like, I don't, that, that, Lord, you don't want me to care for myself. No, he's saying, don't live your life just for yourself, by yourself. Live it for something greater than yourself with people that will help you to be what God's called you to be. Perhaps it's not the harsh commands of a despotic king, but the invitation of a loving God to health and vitality and living the life that you were created for. He wants to reset our lives around community. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Community is all through the Bible. In Genesis chapter 2, one of the first things that we hear is that it was not good for man to be alone. Now, mankind would, would be a broader way to, inter, to read that. It wasn't just that uh, Adam couldn't cook and he was going to die if he didn't get Eve, nothing like that. It was actually a statement that God was saying, we are made for community. Psalm 68 and 6 says that God sets the solitary ones into family and then leads forth prisoners with singing. Isolation keeps you in prisons. Community and family brings you into life for what God has for you. Jesus continues to reveal God's heart when he says, you lo your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's how people will know that God's at work in your life is when you can actually live in community. You can move into a new place. And the disciples heard that, but how did they do it? In Acts chapter, three, or Acts chapter 2, in one day, 3,000 people came to know Jesus. 3,000 in one day, from zero to 3,000. So what did they do? In Acts 2 and 46, it says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts in the temple courts and in their home, in the big and in the small. They didn't say, that's too many people. We're, we don't know everybody. Shut it down. That's, uh, we, we can't do this. We don't, we don't want to do this. It's too difficult. 3,000. Then just a couple chapters later in Acts 4, 2,000 more people became followers of Jesus Christ. And so we're at over 5,000 men, most people would say that this is. So probably 10 to 15,000 people that have come together. And here's how they uh, addressed it again. In Acts chapter 5 and 42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Big, big meetings, groups, small groups, big and small, gather and groups. 
gather in meeting together and then get together in groups. That's just part of the way that God works. Paul was telling the church in uh, Acts chapter 20 about how the church grew and was so thorough, um, powerful in the world and spreading. And then, this, then he explains it. He says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that will be helpful for you, but I've taught you, here it is again, publicly and from house to house, big and small, big and small. We get bigger by going smaller. We get smaller and we can grow bigger. We can't grow bigger without growing smaller. You can't grow bigger in your life without getting smaller in your life. You can't do it by yourself in a crowd, but God wants to say, I want you to take a step into going from a crowd to a group because group just does something. The church got larger and smaller at the same time and the momentum grew. And our church is called to continue to grow. It's called to continue to grow. And it's not so that we can get more numbers. Oh, we went to 400 and went to 500 and 700 and 4,000 or anything like that. And if we make numbers the game, that's a, that's a losing game if we only focus on numbers. But if we remember this fact, notice that the, the, the Acts gospel, that gospel, not that gospel of Acts, that Acts reported numbers. Why? Because every number is a name. Every name has a story, and every story matters to God. So when I talk about groups, it's not just so that your life can be better. It's so that more people's life can be better, so that more people can understand and come to know what it means to meet Jesus and see their lives absolutely transformed by the power of Jesus like many of you have. So when we say, I want you to go small, it's so that we can grow big, so that we can go small, so that we can grow big. Because church is not a place to attend, it's a community to belong to. We are better together. Everyone cannot know everyone, but everyone should be known by someone. Thank God for the nuclear family of mom and dads and kids and 2.5 kids and the stereotypical Canadian family. But we love family and we need family. But I am also thankful for the family of God. The Bible in the New Testament calls it the household of faith. Because the household of faith has single people in it. When, the, when our culture and even church culture might say, hey, when you get married, then you can start being a real part of something. No. The household of faith has room for the single person. It has room for the divorced person. It has the room for the person in a relationship that is complicated. It has room for people who, who might not be able to put it all together sometimes. The household of faith is a fit for the aging retiree and the fresh-faced student starting this week. The household of faith embraces the refugee and the citizen in the same room. The household of faith embraces the struggling seeker and the sanctified saint at the same time. There's room in the household of faith. The household of faith is not limited by ethnicity, race, or color. It's only limited by the father that people follow. The household of faith. But no one can force community. You have to choose it. Forced relationships called stalking. And if you do enough of that, you'll have more forced community called prison. <laughs> so we're not talking about that. You have to choose community. So my hope today is that you'll be inspired and I won't have to go to jail. Now, I'm not going to force anybody to get into community. Not at all. But I do believe this, that your life is better 
together. You have something that somebody else needs. Somebody has something that you need to step into all that God has for you. There's, in our humanity, we tend to go to our things, our family, our goals, our dreams, our survival, our prayer, our needs, and we get stuck in a whirlwind of our stuff. But it's not a new problem. In a passage written over 3,000 years ago by the philosopher king Solomon, he spoke these words. He said, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man, a woman, anybody who is all alone, without a child, without a brother. In other words, there's no relational connection. Who works so hard to gain as much wealth as he can. What a picture of our culture. But then he asks himself, Why, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It's all meaningless and depressing. Why would I want to do this? Just work and settle for a life that's all about right here, right now, and that's it, all alone. Isolation, an independent attitude. I don't need anyone. I don't want anyone, in fact. Just me and mine. That's it. I don't want to rely on anyone. No one should rely on me. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps and just get moving on. It's actually not the gospel. It's an independent, self-reliant proud spirit. And we're not called to be independent in that sense. We are called to be interdependent. Isolation kills dreams. Isolation steals joy. Isolation keeps us in prison. Isolation destroys destiny. So the writer says, I want to show you a better way. He says that two are better off than one. If they can, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. We're not going to illustrate that right now. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back instead of toe to toe and conquer. There, Three are even better for a triple braided cord. It's not easily broken. In other words, the more the merrier, the better together. The strength of, of your future is determined by who's walking with you in your present. Christ distributes courage through community. He dissipates doubt through fellowship. He never deposits all you need to know in one person. But he distributes pieces like a jigsaw in the community of faith. And when you interlock your understanding with mine and we share our discoveries and we share our perspectives, when we mix and mingle and we talk and we confess and we pray, Christ reveals answers that will not be revealed any other way because the strength of your future is determined by who's walking with you in your present the power of community is not independence it's interdependence and i'm not talking codependence codependence is when somebody's messed up and they uh they have somebody else who feels good about themselves by caring for that person in their messed up state they don't want that person to get well because then they wouldn't have purpose and meaning that's not what inter interdependence is interdependence is i've got my stuff kind of figured out i'm working on it i'm open with it i don't have all everything i have some need but i have something to bring to the table and you have something to bring to the table i will cover you where you uh, don't have it all figured out and i ask you to cover me where i don't have it all figured out we we can survive life alone it'll be less but we choose to thrive together at first glance community in this passage if you want to throw it back to that at the first glance, it's success, it's help, it's warmth, it's defense, it's winning. But look beyond the winning moments 
to see the reality and the true grit of community. Community does not mean that we are this group of people that never struggle, that just smile and give each other hugs and it's all good. How are you doing? Fine. Didn't your dog die? Yeah, I'm fine though. Well, that would be true for me, but I know for many of you with your dog, that would mean something. I don't know where that came from, but <laughs> I have no kids living at home pretty soon and the dog, well, we'll just pray. I pray that he'll live in all the days that God has for him. <laughs> Not every day is easy and good. Sometimes we fail at being our best self and we fall down. Look what it says. Sometimes despite your best efforts, you blow it again. You're back at the thing you promised to stop. Community means that someone will crawl in a ditch after you and say, you're not meant for the ditch. You're meant for the road. And there's a purpose in your life. This purpose is not the ditch. Your purpose is the path of God for your life. I'm going to get in there and I'm going to help lift you out of there. I'm not going to mock you because you're in it. I'm going to get down among it and help and lift you up on. Because it's amazing what people are willing to leave when they know they're going somewhere and somebody's going with them. The strength of your future is determined by who's walking with you in your present. Sometimes you will be in a fight that seems destined to overcome you. See how it says that? Sometimes, despite your, what you hoped would happen, it doesn't happen. You're in a fight for your life. But when you're in community, we're in it together. You don't have to do life alone. You don't have to fight your battle by yourself. You don't have to hide in your closet alone. Wondering how you're going to break through. You're fighting depression, but in community, somebody's got your back and is praying for you. Someone is fighting anxiety, but you're fighting with them and for them and saying, I'm going to come after you and I'm going to come with you. You're fighting a bad prognosis from the doctor, but in community, you're not fighting by yourself. Someone's got your back. Your marriage is in trouble, but in community, someone's got your back. Or maybe as a student, you're about to throw away your future, but in community, somebody's got your back. You're not alone. You're not held back. I love what Philippians 1 and 27 says. It's contending together as one man for the sake of the gospel or as one people. In other words, we're shoulder to shoulder. We're, we're, we're back to back, moving forward into what God has, but it's not isolation that's going to take us through. It's community that's going to take us through. The best things in, that God has for you will not be discovered by yourself. They are, will only be released to their fullness in community, in relationship, because guess what? You're not all that by yourself. We need each other. We need each other. The strength of your future is determined by who's walking with you in your present. And I can tell you from personal experience that some pain caused by unhealthy people will only be healed when you take a risk to open your life to some healthy people and God can bring some healing to an area of your life that you've locked away and thought could never be well again. The strength of your future is determined by who's walking with you in your present. And sometimes the potential inside of you seems so overcome by the situations that are around you and what you're walking through. You've dreamed of becoming that artist. 
You've dreamed of having financial success, but it only seems like a pipe dream. You want to go back to school so that you can become a counselor or a lawyer or whatever it might be that your life could be better. But sometimes by ourselves, we don't have the courage to reach out and dream. But when somebody's with you and you're in community, people will get behind you in a way that only people can do with the power of Jesus walking in them. And you will reach out and attempt things that you would never dare try alone. And that's the power of community. There are dreams that will not be released until we learn how to walk together in community, walking with one another, shoulder to shoulder, eye to eyeball to eyeball, and say, I'm with you. It doesn't mean that it's all about one person. It means we're walking together. We're going to make forward together. You can do that. I believe that you can. Why, why, you've been talking about starting that business for so long. I think it's time for you to do it. How am I going to do it? I don't know, but we're going to, we're going to pray and we're going to, we're going to ask God to reveal the way because the strength of your future is determined by who's walking with you in your present. Who's with you? Who's with you? The Bible says it's better to have a friend nearby than a brother far away. You're like, I got somebody. They live in, like, Saskatchewan. Well, what, tell them to move, first of all. But, like, they live way in Saskatchewan. And when you're going through trouble, you don't need somebody in Saskatchewan. You need somebody who lives on 57th Avenue to help you in Surrey. And the strength of your future is determined by who's walking with you in your present. Who is walking with you right now? I'm not talking acquaintances. I'm not talking about the people that you nod your head to in your building. I'm not talking about the people who you smile at on Sunday. Who's walking with you? Who's your first call? Do you have a first call? When it's doing what it does sometimes. Who's with you in the failing? Who's with you in the falling? In the battle that you're fighting? In the battle that you're winning? In the celebrating of your life? And today, as we, Daniel said already, is Group Sunday, and we want to help you to find your people. I actually believe that's not just so that your life can be better, but I believe that our church can be better when we walk together, when we help each other achieve what God's called us to achieve, when we can do with great faith together what we could never do by ourselves. Because some of you have resources that a person across the room would step into something if they knew what you was in the room. There's treasure in the room that's locked up. There's dreams that need to come out into the light of day and say, God, how would you do it? The strength of your future is determined by who's walking with you in your present and not just your family. Somebody that'll tell you the truth. Somebody that'll speak into you your life. Somebody will look into your eyes and say, let's go. Let's keep moving. Let's keep going. God's got more for us. We haven't arrived. We're not there yet. We can do this. Group leaders, you can go and get ready in the lobby. You'll never understand the incredible power. Well, look at this. These are some of our group leaders. Look at them go. I think there's 27 different groups out there. Still going. Some of you are like, this is my chance to leave. I see you. I'm just kidding. You'll never understand the incredible power of community until you're part of one. Horizon is not just a great church to attend, and it is. It's a community to belong to. 
don't know if you've heard of a place called, and I'll say it, I might butcher the pronunciation, Machu Picchu in Peru. It's a mountaintop around the five to 8,000 foot mark on the mountain. It uh, was built in the 1400s, the last of the Inca Empire um, that was there before the conquistadors from Spain came. And uh, it, was, it was built, it's located on two fault lines. Uh, by fault lines, I mean two earthquake fault lines. It was built 600 years ago almost. And it's been ravaged by earthquake many, many times. Yet it still stands. I'm going to put up the picture of it. So that's a wall built in the 1400s. And you'll notice the, the wall that it's made up of rocks, granite. First of all, it's solid. The rocks have all been cut to fit together. They fit together. Notice they're not in neat little rows. They're all different unique sizes and how one fits just perfectly enough. They're, m most of the wall you can't e is so tight that you, you can't even slide a credit card into them, into the crack. There's no mortar in it. They are just fit together. And they're fit together, and they've been hit by earthquakes. And they say when they're hit by earthquakes, they dance. They move all over. And then because they're fit together, they, when the earthquake's done, they just kind of go back into place. Incredible. In the capital city of Peru called Lima, there was much buildings there that in the early, well, many times, the same time when there's an earthquake here in Lima, there was a, an earthquake. This was made of all uh, commercially produced bricks, not natural stone, commercially, all looking the same, all the same size, fit together with mortar. Those ones, when the earthquake hit them, just with human design, with mortars and everybody looking the same, crashed down and had to be rebuilt. But these ones remind me of what's called, I think it's in First Peter, where it says we are living stones fit together as a, fit together as a, the house of God. When we're fit together well, with no gaps between us, we can battle, we can weather earthquakes and shaking in our lives. And when the shaking comes, because shaking comes, we just settle back down because we're fit together so tightly. There's no space for offense. There's no space for things between us. We just choose to live together in a powerful, powerful way. And notice that every stone is unique. Every one of us is unique. Some bigger, some smaller, some different personalities. Some personalities are so tough to fit together, they move that rock over there and shave it a little bit so it'll be beside something that it can fit up against. They fit together. Tightly. And when the shaking comes, they stand. And we believe that most of us Today, some of you are literally one decision away from a reset of your life where you will choose community. You're going to choose community. You, maybe some of you, it's been a long, long time since you've been involved in community and you're an attender. But I just want to absolutely encourage you to think about moving another step and finding your people because there's people waiting for you. Much as you're going to find your people, your people are waiting for you. 
And our groups are not big Bible studies. Some of them are Bible studies. We have hiking groups. We have basketball groups. We have missions groups, uh, knitting groups, leadership groups, entrepreneur groups, Bible study groups, prayer groups, moms and tots, feasting groups, and the list goes on and on and on. The purpose is just to bring people together because we need people in our life. The strength of our future is determined by who's walking with us in our present. And our groups really provide just three things. A place to connect with others. Take a step. We are not made to do life alone. They're a place to protect each other. When we do life together, our problems become smaller as we have others who will bear them with us. They're a place to grow with others. Every person is created with incredible God-given potential that will be much more quickly discovered in community. I invite you to stand and then we're going to let you go out real quick. Not yet. But all this is talking about relationship with one another. But the first relationship, we hinted at it already, is that all of us are created for relationship with God. And if you're not in a place where you know that you're right with God or that you're walking in relationship with God, you can very easily do that. It's simple as ABC. Acknowledge that I'm a sinner. God, I need you. I, 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 my life, the things that I've done in my life are not right. And I ask you to forgive me. Second is, or the next letter is B, A, B, C. Believe that Jesus paid the price for your sin. And C is just confess, Jesus, I confess that you're the forgiver and leader of my life. I need you to set my life on a new path, to reset my life and begin a journey into all that you have created me to be. I invite you to just close your eyes real quick, and then we're going to respond to that. Just give privacy to the people around you. It's nothing spooky. Nobody's going to do anything. If you know you're not right with God and you say, Craig, I want to come into relationship with God today. I don't want to be on the outside looking in. I want to walk into the family of God to pass from death to life, to start a brand new life with Jesus. If that's you, just pop your hand up on my left, your right. Anyone on my left side, your right. If that's you, just throw your hand up right in the middle or on the right, the left. All right. For the rest of us, I'm going to release you in the, to the lobby in a moment as soon as I pray. And I want you to take a few moments. Don't just run out the door. I think there's some goodies out there as well. But there's many different groups. You don't have to decide today. Nobody's going to like twist your arm, give you a free gift. I don't think if you sign up now for three years or anything, that's not. Literally, our groups begin now and they end the last week of November, first week of December. Uh, if, if you want to go and check it out one week, I know every group will be happy to do that. You don't have, you're not signing in blood. You might try one or two until you find one that fits. And then, and then when it comes to December, you're done. And we'll start again in January, and you can jump into another group or whatever like that. But I really want you to consider it today, that the strength of your future, really our shared future, is determined by who's walking with you in your present. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to take a step today. Father, people maybe that have lived in isolation and have settled for what that means... Lord, I pray that you would give us revelation and courage to take a step and find our people and continue to walk forward into all that you have for us in the strong name of Jesus, that we, we will allow you to reset our life to be all that you've created us to be in Jesus' name. Amen.